Okay, welcome to a Cava Ships podcast SNA special, a focused interview in conjunction with the Service Navy Association's annual symposium taking place just outside Washington, D.C. I'm Chris Cavus. My co-host Chris Cervello and I have been talking with key industry leaders about their work with the U.S. Navy, and they've been providing some great insight, as you'll hear right now. Today's Surface Navy Association discussion is brought to you by Raytheon Missiles and Defense. For more information, please visit RaytheonMissilesAndDefense.com. Okay, well, joining us now on the uh, on the podcast is Kim Ernson. She is the Vice President for the Naval Power Division at Raytheon Missiles and Defense. Welcome to the show, Ms. Ernson. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be here. So you have a pretty wide portfolio here. You do you oversee the spy six radar undersea systems. Uh, you talk about um, missiles, you have the, the standard missile production line, um, and a whole lot else. So I'll just start with what are some of the major developments that you're highlighting here at the service Navy symposium? Absolutely. To your point, Chris, we do have an exciting portfolio. And it's great to be a key partner to our US Navy. A couple of the key programs that we're going to be talking about, obviously, SPY-6. Um, SPY-6 is the next generation radar that uh, recently went through some significant successes. We um, were able to do light off testing, started in December. We got all four arrays turned on and are integrating it with the Aegis combat system. Um, this is a great collaboration across industry because it's us, it's Lockheed Martin and it's Huntington Ingalls ensuring that we bring this next generation capability and all of us are laser focused on ensuring that DDG 125 stays on track and we can get this capability introduced to the fleet as soon as possible. This next year is gonna be just as busy. Not only are we doing the integration on the destroyer class, but as you know, SPY-6 is a family of radars. And so we've got not only the AMDR variant, which is what is going on the destroyer, but we also have the ESERS and that will be going on to CBN 78 and continuing to do its its activity for integration. And so we've got a lot of work going on, um, not only in finishing up integration, but now we're into our production cadence and we're delivering an array a month. Um, and so we really have hit our stride with being able to produce this next generation capability for the Navy. So what we're talking about here is the, the SPY-6 radar. This is the uh, new air missile defense radar, which is going on the Flight 3 destroyer, the, the Jack Lucas DDG-125 is the first of these ships. It's being built uh, by Huntington English Shipbuilding at Pascoe, Mississippi. That will be the first one to carry that SPY-6 radar. The Enterprise Air Surveillance Radar is, is a variant of the same family, correct? But it's, but, it's, it's, it, but it's a different radar. It's a scalable radar. It's going on a range of ships. And that's also being installed on new ships right now, correct? That is correct. And that's the beauty of how we designed this radar. It is, to your point, incredibly scalable. It is predicated on building blocks. So we call them radar model, radar modular assemblies, RMAs. And in the large one that goes on the destroyer, there's 37 of them. When we talk about the ESER variant, there's only nine. And we have obviously two variants, depending on if it's going on to the carrier or the frigate, on whether or not it's a three-faced ESER variant or a rotating. And of course, when you go on to the carriers, you bring in um, the air traffic control capability. And that's one of the, the nice enhancements or features that ESER brings in along with obviously the air and missile defense capability. It's also going on amphibious ships as well, right? 
It will eventually, that is correct, along with Frigate. Um, obviously, the FFGX is slated to get to the Easters once it comes online. Right, the Constellation class frigates. Yes. Um, you also do, uh, you, you oversee the vast array of standard missiles. Yes. That um, and that is a that that's a to say it's a big deal is an understatement. It's the primary um, surface-to-air weapon of the U.S. Navy. It comes in very a number of variants. Uh, the big ones right now are SM2s, SM3s, and blocks thereof, Absolutely. and SM6s, which is also being has been evolved in a great way over the last few years and expanding its roles. Going first to the SM6. Um, bring us up to date on that on that system and where what are you producing right now? What's in development? So standard missile six is the uh, premier weapon for the Navy. It is a multi-mission weapon. Currently today, we are delivering the 1A configuration. We are in development of the 1AU, which is, which is going to incorporate an additional electronic stack capability, which will give it more processing and allow it to do uh, longer or more discrimination activity. The nice thing about the standard missile is it is a multi-mission. So it can do um, air attacks, it can do ballistic missile, it can do um, sea-based terminal defense. Um, it is truly a multi-mission weapon. Recently, uh, Admiral Drugan, who is with Missile Defense Agency and is the lead for the ballistic missile defense activity for MDA, was giving an interview with um, CSIS. And he really described Standard Missile 6 as a fantastic missile. It just does everything that the Navy needs. And one other activity that is going on in development is what we call the Block 1B. This will add longer legs onto the, the missile, and we are in development on that with the Navy to add a 21-inch stack to it so that you have a longer range capability. So there's a lot of activity going on in the standard missile six piece of the portfolio. As it relates to standard missile two, standard missile two is our you know, more medium range uh, ballistic missile capability. And we recently got a contract for the three, what we call standard missile block 3A, 3AZ, and 3B variants. They're different variants that go not only to the United States, but they also go to a lot of our international coalition partners. We're really excited because as those partners come on board, it obviously gives capability not only to them, but it allows the Navy to continue to develop the standard missile two weapon. And what we're currently doing for the next variant of Standard Missile 2, which will be known as the 3C or 3 Charlie, is going to be bringing an active front end to it, which obviously gives it an increased capability. Yeah, I have a question, uh, just switching gears, about the Tomahawk uh, Block 5A. Um, when I was uh, in uniform, I guess maybe two or three years ago, um, the, the test was being done and um, or really the idea was that, hey, we can maybe use this Tomahawk uh, technology and capability that we have to go after ships. Yes. Um, and I know that you and the folks at Navair and, and others were, you know, working that and, um, you know, the, this past fall, um, more made it out into the press. So can you give us a little bit of an update on the 5A? I mean, that that's, you know, like the SM6. I mean, that using that sort of, I'll say, older technology um, to do to go after a newer mission or a newer need. 
um, it's kind of game changing for the Navy and, and for Raytheon. So can, can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So to your point, the Tomahawk Block 5A is going to introduce what we call a maritime strike capability. So as we know, the Tomahawk is an incredible long range weapon. Um, it is you know, kind of the premier weapon when we need to do land strikes, just because of the length of which that weapon can fly. Bringing in an active front end, um, and it's got, again, you know, a passive and an active is going to allow that long range to now be able to pivot and go against moving maritime targets. It's an incredible weapon. We've been doing a lot of captive flight tests. Um, we are already delivering the Block 5, which introduces an upgraded navigation and communications to that weapon. Those are already being delivered off of our production line. And as we start bringing in the research missiles for their 15-year research update, they are going out as a Block 5. So we continue to finish our development. And last fall, we actually got our first low-rate initial production contract with NavAir for the maritime strike weapon. Um, and so we will start production on that in the 2023 timeframe. So we're excited to continue to develop this next generation capability for the Navy. Kind of related to that, whether it's the Block 5, the 5A, or even the SM6, um, you, you know, again, a, a lot of people over the last couple of years in uniform were concerned that they weren't, and the folks on the Hill weren't sending you all the right fiscal signals to mm -hmm. kind of ramp up production, right? I mean, because that that's, you know, that that's the concern, right? I mean, it's great to have this technology, but if it's not on the ships and if it's not in the numbers that we need, it's sort of pointless. So are you getting the um, the money and the signals that you need at Raytheon to, um, to kind of ramp that production up to meet you know, the needs of the combatant commanders. I mean, we, we hear that they want this technology and we hear the numbers that they want it in, but, you, you know, there's sort of this important part in between that seems right. to be missing. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, over the last couple of years, I would say that has vastly improved. You're right. There were definitely a couple of years, particularly on Tomahawk, where it was, we want to put it in and then it would get zeroed out in the budget cycle. And so as they went back and started really looking at the threat set and where the threat has continued to evolve, Tomahawk still is a viable and necessary weapon um, to go after those threat sets. And so that helped the Navy be able to go put that into the budget and say, hey, this weapon is not only relevant today, but those enhancements that we're doing in concert with Raytheon is needed for the fight tomorrow. And so we've gotten a lot more predictability in what those numbers look like. And it's critical not only for us at Raytheon, but obviously our key suppliers and partners who also rely on getting that demand signal so that they can plan appropriately for you know, investments they may need to make as it relates to capacity. On the standard missile six, you know, obviously as we've been transitioning from the one to the one A, we've been continuing to work on improving our um, monthly tact rate. The team has done a phenomenal job and we are hitting our strides as it relates to our predictability on the one A. We know there's a demand signal that we need to get up to. We're currently on 96 a year. And we are working with the Navy and with Congress on how we start the funding so that we and the rest of the supply base can eventually get up to 200 a year. So you're talking about 96 a year of SM6s right now? Correct. That is correct. How long does it take to actually build a missile? If you have you have basic components you need to order. Um, somebody You have sub-suppliers that do this. They have to manufacture that. They have to ship it to you. Uh, you have a lot of things to assemble, check out, testing, rah, rah. So from, from starting a missile from components order, if that's a term, 
to delivering an all-up round, what what kind does it take? Three months? Does it take three years? What what are we talking about? Average eighteen to twenty-four months. Um, eighteen to twenty-four months. Yes, and that's where we're trying to partner with the Navy a little more on how do we get ahead of that so that we can condense because it really when most of that lead time is in our rocket motors, um, obviously, mm -hmm. because, you know, you've got to go off in the propellants and, you know, a lot of those um, materials take a while to procure. So the more that we can get predictability and, you know, a couple of years looking into it, you know, us and the supply base can look at how do we do, you know, interesting things for the Navy to get ahead of that cycle time. And when Who's we the do primary? a one-year budget cycle, that's where it becomes very challenging for industry to be able to be more flexible in being able to, you know, compress those cycle times. Right. Who's who, who's your primary rocket rocket motor supplier? Aerojet. Aerojet. Yes. And and where where do they make those? They make those in Camden. Um, is the primary place where they make our weapons. Um, Camden, New Jersey. Camden, Arkansas. Camden, Arkansas. Yes. Okay, so they make those in Camden, Arkansas, and they ship them to your your uh, your missile factories in, in Tucson area, right? That is correct. They ship them to Tucson. However, our standard missile six is actually assembled at our um, facility in Huntsville. We do both standard missile six and standard missile three at our Huntsville facility on the Redstone Arsenal. Okay, Huntsville, Alabama. Yes. Um, and so, so you're talking about you're building 96 now. You like to get up to 200. Yes. Do you have to add capacity right now to get to 200 or could you do that today? We have to add some. Um, most of it is around our test equipment and some of our circuit card assembly um, operations. So there's a couple of areas where we would also need to add capacity. Okay, so, and, and, and just one more on that is the, does the continuing resolution now affect any of your missile development? That, Right now we're doing okay on the missile development. Um, you know, the, the, the concern always becomes how the continuing resolution extends because obviously it limits, you know, you have to keep your same year funding going forward. And so it, it does put pressure on some of our development, but right now we're still able to meet our commitments um, along with the Navy for what we're trying to achieve as far as milestones. So, so, so right now you could handle a full year CR? For the most part, yes. For the most part. Um, naval strike missile. Yes. And you do that too. And naval strike missile is a surface-to-surface um, -surface weapon. Yes. Uh, it's been deployed on LCS, littoral combat ships. Yes. Um, and rather to the consternation of some of the uh, opposition um, has taken great notice of that. So far, could you bring us a, what's a, what's a, what's a sit rep on, on NSM right now? Sure. So Naval Strike Missile, as you said, NSM, um, this has been an incredible partnership with the Marine Corps um, and the Navy. Obviously, initially it was introduced in the Navy for the over the horizon capability and first introduced into LCS-10. Um, so we've gotten it out there. And yes, I mean, this is an incredible weapon. Um, it's a low skimming, um, highly capable front end on that, um, the seeker. And it's a great partnership we also have with Kongsberg. Kongsberg is the developer, uh, but we do a partnership with them and are bringing some of the production over to the United States. So it's a, it's a great weapon. So not only is the Navy now putting it on to the littoral combat systems, but the Marine Corps is looking to introduce it into their rogue vehicle. 
Um, and so we've been doing a great partnership with the Marines so that they have now as part of their expeditionary force, right. a capability that they can leverage um, onto these road vehicles. Okay. Well, I think that'll be, that'll do it for us. Um, that's a, that's a great rundown of uh, some of your primary systems. I'm more than aware that you do a lot more than just those missiles, missiles and radars that we talked about today, but it's been, been great talking to you and we really appreciate you coming by. Well, thank you, Chris. Appreciate your time today. Thank you, ma'am. This has been a Cava Ships podcast SNA special brought to you by Raytheon Missiles and Defense. For more information, please visit RaytheonMissilesAndDefense.com. Please join us again tomorrow for more from the Surface Navy Association Symposium.